0: Welcome to episode number eight of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. And in today's episode, we're talking with Todd Sieftka, Occupational Safety Officer at WorkSafeBC. In this episode, we're interviewing Todd about a project that he worked on with WorkSafeBC about fire and explosion safety in silos, in particular silos that are storing wood pellets or storing agricultural products. Todd does a really good job of classifying the different silos and bin structures that are seen in, in these industries. In particular, the different material characteristics that are important to consider in smoldering fire prevention, um, overall fire prevention, and explosion safety prevention. But beyond that, we also get in quite a bit of detail on the actual response to a a smoldering fire or fire in a silo. What should first responders be considering and what should the facilities that own the silos be considering when they have an incident that occurs? Um, What are some of the the issues involving buildup of combustible gases, um, deficient oxygen conditions? and different issues that could arise during the, the fighting of these type of fires. In the episode, we mentioned a, a number of different resources, which you can go and download at dustsafetyscience.com 8, which is the show notes for this episode. And if you have any questions about the episode, you can leave them in the comments section at the show notes website page, or you can go to dustsafetyscience.com slash ask, that's A-S-K, and ask those questions there. I want to thank you for listening to Dust Safety Science, and I hope you enjoyed this interview with Todd. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking at increasing awareness of combustible dust hazards, generating lessons learned from incidents as they occur, creating a worldwide global community around combustible dust safety. In today's interview, we're talking with Todd Siefka, an occupational and safety officer at WorkSafe BC, about a program they're doing with fire and explosion safety and structural safety within silos. Todd, thank you for coming on for the interview today.
1: Chris, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be
0: here. So I... First spoke with Todd about the the project back in July, um, and they had some really interesting findings that they are working through for this fire and explosion safety within silos um, within WorkSafe BC, and that's really why I wanted to have him on the show. Uh, but maybe we'll start uh, with Todd about explaining a little bit about your role with WorkSafe BC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been an officer with WorkSafe BC for over 10 years. Uh, my general role is to do general workplace inspections and in response to incidents. And helping employers in their compliance with our act and regulation for workplace safety. Uh, but over the past year, I've been working out of our risk assessment unit on a dedicated project uh, looking at the risk of silo fires, explosions and structural collapses.
0: This project with with silos, how did it come about within WorkSafe BC? Why why were you looking into it and what were we hoping to get?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've had a couple incidents uh, in the wood pellet industry around 2016 and 2017 where we've had fires uh, in silos being used to store wood pellets and we've also had an explosion as well and that kind of gave us rise to ask the question of what does this risk look like for other areas within the province and other industries that use uh, large silos for storing raw material and finished product.
0: Okay that makes a lot of sense and what were some of the major kind of findings from the, the study or some of the major takeaways that you guys learned? Um, so
1: far, I think the important part is having the users of the silos understand that the risk of fire and explosion is there uh, and taking the proper corrective actions or preventive measures so they don't have an undesired event, uh, such as a fire or explosion. From learning so far, what, one of the things we're looking into is uh, getting employers to, like I said, recognize that hazard but also to kind of take preventative measures on uh, monitoring their silos, inspecting them, uh, making sure they're good serviceable condition. So they don't end up with a fire event. Uh, Also looking at if they do have an event, what are the best tactics for extinguishing it as well?
0: Okay. That's, that's actually, and we do talk a lot in this episode about prevention, but we don't talk so much about, um, or in the podcast anyway, about the response. So maybe we'll dig into that a little bit. Did you guys have any, findings from first responders or firefighters or even the the occupants of the facility on the best way to approach a, a silo fire or a silo explosion?
1: Yeah, there's a number of different techniques looking at um, extinguishing a fire in a silo. Uh, one of the unique things about a, a fire in a silo is there's obviously active fires, but there's also what's common as small smoldering fires within silos. So. Uh, somehow, whether through self-heating of the contents being stored inside, or the introduction of a spark from an external source, um, starting a small smoldering fire within the silo, uh, and it really there's it with it being often buried within the contents of the silo, um, it doesn't fully burn, um, so it just smolders away, and it can take sometimes days for one to even be being noticed. That can lead to a buildup of a lot of. Uh, Gases from the incomplete combustion, one of them being carbon monoxide, which also, uh, which is a flammable gas at a range of about 12 to 73%, which could cause an explosion in a silo. When it comes to extinguishing it, uh, there are some best practices based on the type of silo that you do have. Um, for example, there's a type of silo they called oxygen-limiting silos, and they generally those smooth, steel-walled. Silos uh, that are usually kind of blue or green in color. Um, they actually recommend inerting them with nitrogen instead of extinguishing using water as an extinguishing agent.
0: That's a really good entry point into categorizing those different silos. So maybe so we talked about the oxygen limiting silos. I'm not that familiar with different silo structures. But what are some other types of silos that people could be operating?
1: Yeah, it's actually a good question, and it's interesting when you look at the different industry the term the terminology for silo if you're in an agricultural setting, it has a very set definition. A silo is used for creating silage for feed for animals. Uh, And it's very specific. Anything else used for storage, is, uh, if it's grain, it's usually referred to as a bin or for feed, a feed bin. Uh, When the manufacturing industries uh, or wood fiber, the the term silo is very kind of loosely used just to describe a vessel for bulk storage of materials. Um, But there's a number of different types that we see used throughout manufacturing, one being the oxygen limiting style. Um, Often these are purchased and modified by by employers for storage to meet their storage needs. Uh, The other type of um, silo is also more commonly referred to as a grain bin. Um, And those are the ones we see that are kind of that steel corrugated material. Um, they're kind of larger uh, large diameter not as tall and they're constructed of like I said corrugated steel and they come in a variety of different sizes
0: okay that's actually a really helpful classification because I know we struggle with that with the incident database a lot um, and I've actually written articles where where I kind of tongue-in-cheek use the the term silos bins and buckets a lot of time we, we're not sure which one caught on fire or was it the elevator lag or, or, or so it is it is quite complicated from the outside looking in to figure out which ones are, are actually involved and for WorkSafeBC to go through and categorize the different types of structures than the different type of hazards, I think is a really, really important contribution. That's probably pretty helpful for the industry.
1: Yeah, I think it is important to to, to identify the type of silo you're using, whether it be more of a large grain bin style or an actual true silo, uh, like an oxygen limiting one, uh, there's also ones constructed of um, concrete as well. There's wood ones constructed of wood that are really quite old, and that's not very common anymore, but there's a number of different styles out there. Uh, and based on their construction and their characteristics can lead to taking a different response to firefighting. Uh, one of the hazards with the oxygen limiting silo is exactly that. It's By its design, it's... Um, It's designed to be a a of a sealed construction, so when it is actually used for the fermentation of silage, that it helps produce really high quality silage. When it's used in other industries, it's also handy because it's well sealed. It keeps the product um, you know dry as well. But the problem, the challenge, sorry, the challenge with it is, if you do have a fire event, any flammable gases that could be created, such as carbon monoxide, have no way of escaping and can build up within the headspace of that silo creating an explosion hazard
0: that makes a lot of sense and on the firefighters and first responders um i guess there's another kind of difficulty here and i'm not sure if you guys looked at it but you've you've created this categorization of the different silos but is there a communication difficulty i know i've seen some firefighters tackle some some bin fires and that you know with different um different levels of protection and, and different levels of awareness have you guys covered in in your work some of the difficulties with communicating with first responders and and increasing awareness of the different hazards?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that we do want to do with the project is to definitely increase the level of communication and awareness about the hazards of of, of a fire in a silo, and uh, working employers working with their first local first responders and actually assessing the risk there in their silo will be the correct method of accepting it. They're um, at, uh, using traditional firefighting tactics uh, based on their knowledge. Alternate tactics uh, such as and their gas like
0: nitrogen. So with that, so we categorized the different silos and different types of silos and firefighting methods. Did you guys find any differences in in the other side that we mentioned at the start, the different hazards with say concrete construction versus wood or oxygen limiting versus others? Are there any recommendations for industry? on on best methods
1: yeah i think the best thing uh to do for 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 the industry to do is to actually look at the type of silo that they have and really evaluate the risk of a fire in that structure and what they would do to extinguish it you know for example if it's more of a sealed construction where there's less passive ventilation or even mechanical ventilation in place uh, so if there's a potential for a buildup of like carbon monoxide or uh, dust within the headspace of the silo as well can lead to an explosion, uh, they may want to consider an alternate firefighting tactic uh, such as using a nitrogen system uh, versus other silos that are of a looser construction design and have a lot of passive ventilation. They may not have that same buildup of, of carbon monoxide in the headspace if there is a smoldering fire event. Uh, and they could apply a different firefighting tactic as well.
0: On the explosion side, I was going to mention, do you find that they they tend to have more explosions in this more closed headspace construction? Um, I'm just thinking now that if you had more open, then then you may not have that buildup of dust in the headspace.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, when it comes to the buildup of carbon monoxide, um, that sealed construction does pose a greater risk of explosion. Uh, versus um, other constructions like the traditional large corrugated steel-style grain bins that we obviously uh, uh, often see in industry. Um, they're of a construction. There's a lot more natural ventilation for them. Um, that same, from a dust perspective, that is also a hazard as well. That same buildup of dust within that headspace, definitely the oxygen-limiting ones, in my opinion, would be a, of higher risk for explosion.
0: You mentioned there's another kind of lag to the project, which was structural safety in these type of silos. I think a lot of our audience that's owning and operating these, these type of storage equipment might uh, be interested in that. So could you, could you expand on that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. The structural integrity of the silo, Well, obviously the silos are designed to hold a certain capacity of, of material and a certain weight. So during a firefighting operation, if they're using uh, traditional methods of using water or foam extinguishing agent, They also have to consider the weight of that water in the silo. For example, say if the contents are like a wood pellet, um, they're going to absorb water and hold on to it. Uh, In that case, you could essentially overload the silo and cause a structural failure of it during a firefighting operation.
0: So we shared a lot of really good information on um, firefighting methods, different types of silos, um, some of the different hazards involved. But I do want to make sure that we get back to the prevention side um, so, just from from a kind of broad scope, what's the what's the overall takeaway from prevention of fires, prevention of explosions in silos within within BC and elsewhere from the project?
1: Yeah, I think the important thing to recognize is the diverse use of silos for the storage of different materials throughout throughout industries. It's, it can be. I think it's so. I think it's important for employers or users of silos to recognize that the risk of fire actually exists and that how they may approach the fire may may be different from fighting a a regular structural fire uh, at at their site. Um, And so when looking at the general design of the silo, what type of silo it is, its general construction, um, is it more of a sealed construction type where there's a greater potential of buildup of dust or uh, carbon monoxide within the headspace, which could lead to an explosion during firefighting operations? Um, Also, looking at uh, the material stored inside is actually really quite important. Um, If it's um, a biogenetic material, such as sawdust, wood pellets, uh, any grains or silage, could be um, susceptible to self-heating and spontaneous ignition, creating a smoldering fire. And that's actually a a common cause of fires in the agricultural industry, is the self-heating of the material. And it's actually been a cause, a suspected cause of a fire in the wood pellet industry as well.
0: So, is there any recommendation industry on what they should do if they had that type of material to to prevent the fire?
1: Definitely, um, knowing that uh, a silo fire can either start from an external an external ignition source from something such as self heating, or from an external uh, ignition source such as a spark traveling into a storage silo through a conveyance or a ventilation system. Or from the heat off of a hot bearing um, is another common cause, or um, static electricity from the transferring of material uh, that's not properly bonded. If they do have material that is susceptible um, to self heating, obviously monitoring it. I know in the wood pellet industry, they will do temperature monitoring of them um, so they can see rises in the common practice in the agricultural industry as well. One temperature of silage, making sure that it is, it is expected to heat up as it is in filling, uh, but making sure it doesn't reach a dangerous level to the point where it is going to ignite. Um, there's also a proactive things such as monitoring for uh, oxygen levels and carbon monoxide levels within the headspace as well. Uh, can give a good indication on how things are going with that, with that material. I also think understanding the characteristics of the material being stored is really important. Um, looking at the bulk density and bulk porosity of the product, uh, some materials are so dense that a fire cannot exist within it. Uh, but if there is oxygen within the space uh, or if there's air gaps, that could allow for a, a smoldering fire to exist. So understanding the characteristics of the products is really important and also, uh, a common thing is whether the product is um, hydrophobic or hydrophilic, whether it, it's attracted to water or it repels water.
0: Thanks, Todd. That's a very good overview of some of the considerations and characteristics to look at when looking at a fire and explosion program for safety in silos. I know you mentioned when we talked earlier about some different resources that um, were really important for the space and that showed a lot of good information. I want to make sure to, to mention those and also include them in the show notes, if you could talk about those now.
1: Yeah, there's a great resource uh, research paper out of uh, Sweden by a gentleman by the name of Henry Persson. Uh, he's done a, a great discussion paper on silo fires and different methods for extinguishing them. Uh, it's a pretty comprehensive paper, and it's, it's, it's a go-to document, I know, in the wood pellet industry here in BC. Uh, and he does a really great job of looking at the issues that the the issues with silo fires on potential ignition sources, whether they be internal from spontaneous combustion from self-heating, or whether it be an external spark introduced from a conveyance system, or friction sparking, or static electricity. Uh, He also talks about some alternate firefighting tactics, some of the things we've touched on, uh, such as using uh, inert gas or uh, using foam and water. He's also talked about uh, a number of different scenarios with with silos and uh, preventative measures as well. Um, One of the things that I really like about this research paper, he goes into a lot of of the preventative measures and using nitrogen as a possible method for extinguishing a fire and how to prepare for it and looking at basically the size of the silo and how much nitrogen you'll actually use and setting yourself up for with an inerting extinguishing system before you have an event as a part of that
0: pre-planning. That sounds like a really important resource. And we'll try to dig out the, the link for that and include in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash eight for this episode number. And with that, I think we're getting towards the end of the interview. I just want to see with the project, um, where, where do you see it going from here and what are the, the next steps?
1: I think for the next steps for the project, one of the things that uh, one of the first steps of the project was really to take a look throughout BC. What does it look like? Who's using the silos? What type of silos? What are their contents? Uh, Now that we've got a good look at that throughout the different industries, it's about uh, working with some of the industries, such as uh, the wood pellet industry and the agricultural industry specifically, on increasing their level of awareness about the the risk of um, silo fires and explosions, uh, particularly if Uh, the improper firefighting methods are applied. And what we really want to do is go on to the preventative side of things, educate employers on uh, understanding that the risk is there, uh, looking at the type of silo that they have uh, and the contents, and working with their local fire departments on what an appropriate type of response would be, uh, and and really having the employers have that in place. I know in the wood pellet industry, Uh, they are looking heavily into uh, using uh, nitrogen and um, having inerting systems on standby uh, to use if they have an event. But more importantly is preventing that event through proper monitoring of the contents within a silo, whether uh, using temperature is one of the best indicators, uh, or if there's, again, you're getting a buildup of carbon monoxide in the headspace, uh, or decreased oxygen levels, even an increase in humidity. Uh, within the headspace as well could be an indicator of something going wrong within the silo. Um, Also understanding that uh, the general inspections of uh, their silos is so important and getting into you know preventative maintenance as well. Uh, Taking care of the equipment associated with the silo because often a lot of silos or fires are started from an external spark coming in uh, whether it be from a bearing or a conveyance system, or somewhere else within their process, and it traveling into their storage silo.
0: So, I want to thank you again, Todd, for sharing this really great information with us. Um, I think it's a, something the audience is really going to find useful for fire and explosion hazards and structural safety hazards within silos. Is there anything else that you'd like to share um, in closing with our, our audience about the work that WorkSafe BC is doing?
1: Yeah, I think when we look at uh, events like silo fires and explosions, um, applying the process using a process safety approach uh, is a really valuable way of, of doing it. And that's an area that, that WorkSafe uh is is working on with other industries as well. Is uh, we have a, a process safety initiative uh, where we look at large catastrophic events uh, that could happen with certain employers and helping them understand, uh, you know, where those uh, what type of controls they need to have in place uh, to prevent those large events from happening. You know, we spend a lot of time in safety focusing on the personal safety of, of workers and other people, and but we also have to look at the process itself and look at what are those big events that could happen and what we need to put in place to prevent them. Uh, some of the things that we're actually doing in the new year is we're having a couple of industry symposiums. Uh, one in on Prince George, I believe, in about February. And then another one for, the, uh, for agriculture uh, here in the Fraser Valley, try. Uh, we're still in the planning stages of that. So there is no committed date quite yet, but Chris, I'd really like to thank you for having me and, uh, and being able to share this information with your listeners.
0: I really appreciate that. And we'll definitely share links to that in the show notes and the community calendar at dustsafetyscience.com events will include all the WorkSafe BC events that are coming up there. So I want to say thank you. Really appreciate having you on for the interview. Thank you, Chris. This has been great. Thank
1: you for your time today.
0: That was a great interview with Todd about the different considerations in fire prevention, explosion prevention, and response to fires and explosions in silos that are containing wood pellets, agricultural products, and other materials. We had a couple difficulties with the internet connection, so some things may have cut out during the episode. Um, But overall, I think there was a lot of great material shared by Todd, and I really appreciate him coming on. There was one correction, the events listing or the community calendar for dust safety science. Is actually at dustsafetyscience.com slash calendar, not slash events. So that's dustsafetyscience.com slash C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R. I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I look forward to talking next week.